Hi, I'm Daniel Leakes, and welcome to Book 101 Review. Book 101 is all about the books that I read for the last 40 years, and today I have my special guest. He is the author of the book Trimming. No other than Mr. Anthony Basil. Matthew Anthony Basil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Matthew Anthony Basil. Yeah. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's glad to, good to be back. I'm glad to be here. So before we go on to our discussion, let's do a recap of your book. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I, my book is Dreaming, which is available now uh, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can get it in electronic ebook format or you can get it in paperback. And Dreaming is a sci-fi novel with some fantasy elements. It takes place in a distant solar system that's ruled by a uh, like spiritual, I guess, order called the Way of the Light. And the, there's a mercenary named Aleth who's kind of an outcast in that society. He gets sent on the trail of a missing person. He's not sure why he's, he's sent on it. He thinks it's for, he thinks it's by a seditious group. Um, but anyway, he goes, he goes and takes it for the, for the money basically. And he finds her and she's just a fractured woman. And there's a, he doesn't know what to do with her. And it's discovered that she can dream differently than anyone else. And in this world, dreaming is very important. Dreaming is kind of like having visions of your and having insights into yourself and it's a very kind of powerful ritual that they do it's almost like lucid dreaming or if you ever heard of that term and when they dream they don't do it while they sleep they do it while they're in the throes of sexual ecstasy so she can dream differently and it sets all ends but she's has no memories she's completely all over the place and these two kind of come together and it ends up sent off a chain of events that just ends up causing chaos throughout the entire solar system <laughs> yes if you want to listen to our uh, episode with mr matthew anthony basil we all discuss all the secret of the book oh, yes, wow. yes yeah and like you said you could search it on amazon or on barnes and noble matthew a basil is the author is how i go by the my pen name matthew a basil and uh when the book is called dreaming and like i said it's it's out it's it's available now and uh, i think there's even some reviews that are coming in starting to come in so yes before on the latter part let's talk about the review okay mr matthew Oh, well, yeah, I think there's, um, there's, I found one on Barnes and Noble and one on, uh, Amazon. So it's, it's, but it's only, it's in fairness, it's only been out for a week or two. So hopefully more start coming in. <laughs> yes. More coming and more coming. Yes. So let's talk about your chosen novel today. Today, we're going to talk about, um, one of my favorite novels and it's, it's one of the more recent ones that I've read and um, it's, it's definitely within my top 10, maybe even my top five. And honestly, if they had, if the author had done a few things differently at the end of the book in the last third, um, it could have even been my number one favorite of all time, but, uh, it's, it's where the crawl dads sing, which was a 2018 novel and it was turned into a 2022 film. And that's actually how I found it. I saw the trailer for the film. And I was just like, this looks amazing. I have to read the book. I actually have not seen the film to date, but um, I read the, I heard it's a pretty good adaption, but I read the book and I, I was just, uh, it was just really uh, something. Yes. And it was written by Delia Owens. Yes. Who I know is controversial, but I, I, I don't know how you feel, Mr. Daniel, but I, I, I'm, a believer in that when an art, any artist, I, I judge the artwork and, and kind of separate it from the person because it's an expression. It's a piece of art. It's, it says something. If it, if it invokes some kind of emotion, you know, that that's what I kind of look for. And the person and what they're, they're personally dealing with, whatever demons they're battling, whatever they, you know, have going on in their life, that's, that's their thing. And, you know, if they gave a piece of art that maybe is a road marker for somebody else, who's traveling a journey, then, you know, then that's, that's value, but, you know, so that's that. So I know she's has some controversy surrounding her, but like I said, I took the book as just as a 
piece of art, a piece of a story uh, as it stands. And I thought it was really, really special and really something. Yes, it's something to share. Yes. And let's talk about Miss Delia Owens. This says she's an American author and zoologist, conservationist. Did I correct? Yes, yes. Oh, wow, it's interesting woman. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, she does have some controversy because she is wanted, I think, uh, I just looked at it and I forgot. I think it's Zimbabwe. Um, I think she's she's wanted for questioning the death of a poacher. Um, so I know there's, like I said, some, you know, some controversy about that, you know, and, and there were some things with her. I think it's, I think their ex-husband or at now or whatever. I, I'm not exactly sure again, because I didn't want to go into a lot of the controversy. So I didn't look yes. too much into her, but she seems like, you know, again, I, from just from judging from, again, the artwork and what she put in the story, she seems to really have a, an understanding of nature, a deep understanding of nature and, and a real respect and reverence for it, which I, I share as well. I have, I have, a, a very deep respect and reverence for nature. I tried to incorporate that even a little bit in my uh, dreaming novel, even though it's obviously worlds away from the type of novel that uh, where the crawdad thing is. But um, but those themes of of you know respect for the natural world and, and balance in the natural world and order, and I think came through. And so her background in conservation, I think, certainly show were showcased in that um, I, I have a fascination with nature. I, I just gobble up any articles or, or documentaries I can find on it. So, um, so it, was, it was very interesting for me to some of the things I had known about previously that she you know, has in the novel. Other things were new to me. Um, other things, um, I actually had a little bit of a different slant you know, from my knowledge and, and what I knew of certain things. So it was, it was interesting for me to see that from a from, you know, that perspective. So being a zoologist, do you think it affects her writing? Yeah, I mean, again, I haven't read any of her other books, in fairness, but um, it, I think it did definitely affect this one because, like I said, I, I think, again, as, you know, I don't have a degree in biology or anything like that, so I'm not, I guess, up to par with her as far as her academic credentials but i mean from what i have known as you know what i've gobbled up from various articles and, and research i've done into stuff and documentaries um it all seemed very accurate it seemed very realistic it seemed very um very very just filled out you know and full it was very you know there it didn't seem like somebody was kind of cutting corners it, it you could tell that the the um, story was very true to what is real. Yes, and it sold 15 million copies worldwide. Wow, yeah. If Dreamy could just get a fifth of that, I'd be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to celebrate if you're dreaming. We'll yeah, if it, if, it sells, if it sells 10 million copies, I will definitely be celebrating <laughs> for, for many, for the entire year. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about the negative reviews of Crowdad Singh. Crowdad, in uh, other words, is crayfish, right? Yeah, from my understanding, it's a it's a crayf it's like a crayfish. Yeah, crayfish. Yes. So let's talk the negative reviews. One of the uh, reviews said the plot of the book is unrealistic. How did you comment on that? I don't think it honestly is that unrealistic i i mean i don't know how much you know i want to say because i don't want to spoil it for anybody but you know it, there's kind of two things there's two major points going on there's there's a there's a criminal investigation you know and a court case that's a that's a large aspect of the book and then the other large aspect of the book is this is this girl and this isn't one i think because it's you know basically the the whole first half to two thirds is this young girl, um, you know, surviving by herself in the marshlands of North Carolina. Now I've never survived in the wilderness. <laughs> um, so again, I can't say for sure here, but to me, a lot of the stuff that was going on did seem like, yeah, okay. I mean, she was, you know, there was, you know, cause a lot of times when you hear about these like fantasies where the, the kids are off by themselves 
you know, you kind of like, all right, well, how are they getting food? How are they getting clothes? You know, and all of that to me was explained throughout the book of how she was able to get clothing, how she was able to get food. Um, you know, I don't know if, you know, because one of the re- ways she got food was was collecting mussels. And I don't know if there's enough mussels because I honestly haven't been to the marshlands of North Carolina, although I, I want to go now. It's on my bucket list after reading this book. But, <laughs> oh, yes. um, but you know, I, I, I would say, you know, that, you know, there would probably be enough mussels to sustain. I mean, now she was collecting them a lot. So, I mean, maybe there aren't as many mussels there that she could have collected. But you also got to remember this book takes place back in the 1950s and 60s. And so things were, you know, a little more wild, you know, yes. back then they weren't as built up, um, you know, and the, the balance of nature was a little bit more, a little bit that. more, you know, <laughs> pre- yeah. yeah, a little bit more balanced, I should say. <laughs> and so, you know, I could see there being that way. I mean, you know, you could say, well, you know, and also too, the, the rules, there weren't as, there weren't as many, you know, like she doesn't go to school and they kind of give up, you know, trying to get her to go to school. So in this day and age, maybe that would be a little bit more um, difficult to do. You know, maybe they would be a little bit more forceful of that, but back in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, people, especially, you know, in, in rural areas, I could see them kind of just saying, all right, well, you know, <laughs> um, so I, I didn't find it that way. I disagree with that reviewer personally, because I think a lot of the stuff, it's it's kind of a far off tale. I'm not saying it could really exist, but I think there's enough that Delia presents to make it plausible that it could exist. Yes. And one of the negative reviews, the characters underdevelop. I, I, well, I don't, I would vehemently disagree with that with Kaya, who's the main character. I do think she is uh, heavily developed. I do think a lot of the supporting characters, I could see where that is the case. And that's kind of one of the things that prevented me from making this kind of like my number one all-time favorite book is that I did feel like some of the side characters are not fleshed out as well, where we don't kind of see their arcs kind of they, they they seem like they were presented only in relationship to Kaya. And maybe that was what Delia was trying to do, because I know Delia, you know, Kaya is the focal point of the story. And I think, you know, that's what that's what makes this so heartfelt of a story is because she's so she's she's so much. There's so much to her. But like I said, all the aside characters, I do I can see where you could make an argument that they're not really fleshed out. They do kind of sometimes feel like they're just in relation to Kaya. I even Tate, who's probably the closest to Kaya, you, you always, you know, that, that was one of the things at the end. I kind of wanted to see him kind of come to his, his fruition a little bit more, you know, there's, there's a certain event that happens in his life and it's just kind of, it's glossed over, you know, for, what's going on with Kaya and you know, those kind of things I do. So that reviewer, I, I agree with a little bit more, as long as the, the there's a little asterisk that says you're, you, they're not referring to Kaya, the main character. Uh, yes. I could agree with that one a little bit more. Okay. So let's do the good reviews. Beautifully yes. written. It is. I mean, and that's what I, what I was saying. The writing is just so painstakingly emo- packed with emotion Uh, There were moments where I was tearing up here because I could just so identify with Kaya, the loneliness she's going through, the uh, isolation she's going through, the way she kind of has to fall back on nature uh, to try to make sense of her world or try to give her emotional support. The way the, the scenes where she's with jumping and Mabel you know, are just so emotional because of the, the, the emotional undertones that, you know, what can't be said because of the time period and and the social constructs of that time period and what is said, has to be said silently. It's just, I I thought there was so much well done with the writing um, and the prose and the language and the way that was constructed. And heartbreaking. 
It is. It is. Like I said, I, there are moments I cried there. I, I, wow. Really? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, because it just, or at least teared up and it just, it, it just because it was just so like emotional and it's, it's so, you, you, you feel so much for Kai because you're so put in with her and identify with her. I mean, you really follow her throughout. And that's where like, I guess it differs from maybe what that other reviewer, the negative reviewer said, you know, you don't, really follow anybody else in the story you're with kaya so you're an outsider with kaya you feel what kaya feels you you have kaya's opinions i mean if you're not invested and totally on board with kaya you're probably not going to like the book but i think that it is heartbreaking to follow her story i will say at the end i felt like there needed to be and again i'm trying not to spoil anything i and i felt like there needed to be a little bit more of a catharsis maybe so I, I felt like that was that was one of the biggest flubs I thought that Dalia did at the end because I felt like there needed to be this cathartic moment. And like I said, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm trying to dance around what it is. And people who read the book probably might know what I'm talking about. There needed to be this cathartic moment that was kind of building um, to give us that that okay, she she's found it. She's you know she's there, and you know, and and that I think was lacking. But I think everything leading up to that point was so heartbreaking and so emotional and so really weighty, I guess is a good word to put to it. So do you think Miss Owens is the ending? She is preparing for the sequel of the book. No, there's no real way for a sequel. Uh, and again, I don't want to spoil anything here for those who didn't read it. But if you, those who read it will know there's no real way for a sequel. And so there, that's what that's what happened there. It, 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 she she left it as as, as done. It, it was done, and that's why I felt like there did need to be that kind of cathartic moment to finalize her journey. It, and again, like I said, I'm trying to very carefully use words here so I don't spoil yes. anything. But um, <laughs> there needed to be this cathartic moment to finalize her journey. Uh, because her journey so much is because she's dealing with so much isolation and she's dealing with so much um, rejection and abandonment and, you know, ostracization and just basically being kind of not being able to connect with people. And I just felt like there needed to be that, that cathartic moment to, for that journey where she was able to do it. And I don't know, maybe Delia was saying she wasn't able to do it, but I kind of felt she was at the end, but I, you know, to some degree, but anyway, I, I, either way, I just felt like there wasn't that punctuation that needed to be on there, even though her story, her journey, her journey in life, yeah, I definitely, I mean, the story's over with. Um, I just felt like there there was this need to be this kind of crescendo moment, and that was kind of missing. So do you think where the crowded saying is not expandable? As far as moving on to other books in the series? Yes. Or something? Yeah, no, it's, it's a one and done, in my opinion. And anyone who would, I think... I mean, any anyone who would try to, including Delia, in my opinion, anyone who would try to make something uh, like a sequel or a prequel or a, you know, spinoff or something like that would be doing it a disservice. It was it was Kaya's story, and Kaya's journey started. We saw Kaya's journey start, and we saw Kaya's journey end. And there is no other. There is no other journey <laughs> for Kaya that's the you know that's it and so like I said to do that would be the service to Kaya because now you're trying to like take away from Kaya's journey so in this sense uh, yeah I, and I'm you know I'm all for sequels and spinoffs and you know lead prequels and stuff like that if they're done right and like I said to try to I don't know how you would even do it in this case but I mean to try to do it in this case I think would be you know, like, I mean, I guess you could try to do like a prequel with the mother, but again, I think you would do a disservice and because I, I, it's not the mother's story. It was, it was Kaya's story and everything that, everything that her ma was, was, was put into that story. And that's, and that was it. And I think this is one of the good reviews that I like. Unforgettable story. It is, it is. It sticks with you. It sticks with you. I, I can't, I think I probably read this probably in like maybe September or August.
August. I don't I don't exactly know when. Um, probably around that time period. I mean, it still haunts me. And honestly, I mean, I don't know if I could read it again because it is it's just so unforgettable and it's such a powerhouse of a roller coaster of emotions. But yeah, I do think it is unforgettable. I think like, again, Kaya stands out in this. And that's why I said, you know, forget whatever your thoughts are about Delia and, you know, nature cons- conservationism and, you know, forget those politics aside. Kaya is just such a remarkable character and it, it really, she really will stick with you. So what are the characters of Kaya that you want to share to us? The other characters or the characteristics of Kaya? Characteristics of Kaya. I, I think she's resilient. I, I think that's clear. You have to be to survive everything she did. I think she's extremely smart. I think she has some faults um, as well. So I think she can, she's obviously has trouble connecting with people. She has trust issues. That's, that's made evidently clear. Um, and she's also, I think, um, maybe, you know, uh, because, you know, she, she's so smart that she sometimes, I think, you know, fails to kind of bring, bring herself down a little bit. And not that she has to bring herself down, but to, to kind of be approachable you know, because she's so smart and because she's so used to being by herself and so self-reliant and resilient that she fails to be approachable. Um, so those are kind of the negative aspects is, is she fails to be approachable. She, you know, has trust issues. She doesn't connect with people easily. And, but she's, like I said, she's resilient. She has a lot of heart and caring. She's very compassionate. Um, and I think, you know, she, wants to be loved through most of the story, I would say throughout all of the story. And I think that's, that's something that's very special too, because when you go through all the trauma and all the rejection and all the, the hardships that she went through, sometimes people just close themselves off and they don't want to be loved. And, um, you know, I think there's maybe a point in the book where maybe she decides to do that, but um, for a brief period, but I think, she, you know, I, I, that's, you know, again, where I go into the ending, I, I think that needs to be made clear that she, she does open that door again. I, I personally believe she opens that door again, but, um, yeah, I, I think she's also very resourceful as well. And just, yes. I guess it goes with the resilient, but I mean, the, some of the stuff that she does, I'm like, wow, I, I would have thought about that or <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Like that's why I think it is realistic because it's like, yeah. Okay. I mean, if I was alone on the Mars, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't make it, but I was like, okay, yeah, I wouldn't have thought to do that. I want to, you know, probably, you know, been able to figure that out and, you know, and so I think she's very creative, you know, as well. And I think that creativity helps her, especially in her early life. And then she kind of uses that creativity to in other ways as well, which I think is overall good. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, you know, for those again, who read the book, there's a little bit of a caveat where she uses creativity maybe for something not so good, but you know, that's debatable, I guess. But um, you know, that's uh, yeah, I think she's very creative. I think she's resilient. I think she's very intelligent. I think she's very compassionate and I think she keeps her heart open for the most part throughout the story which is difficult given everything she's given so that's part of i guess that's i guess goes hand in hand with the resiliency but i think that's a special kind of category when you can keep your heart open because i think a lot of people like i said can close their heart off and just be strong and resilient and i think to kind of keep your heart open that way is, is something special with resiliency so those would be your good quality yes so do you think where the crowd is saying is a wonderful tale Yes, I think it is a wonderful tale. I would recommend it to people, especially people who have gone through hardships and who, you know, feel lonely or isolated, Uh, especially if you have a love of nature. I think it's a good one. Um, If you're into coming of age stories, I think this is one of the standout coming of age stories. So I think, like I said, it's, it's definitely recommended to people in my opinion i would recommend it to people and i do think it is a worthwhile story if you compare this uh novel to a classic Mm. which one do you can compare 
I kind of want to go to To Kill a Mockingbird, in all honesty. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I kind of want to go there because, the, you know, they take place in similar time periods, of course. And similar, uh, you know, I mean, I, they're both, I, I think it's been a while since I read To Kill a Mockingbird, but I think that takes place in the South of America as well. So they're similar in that vein, but I think they're also similar in one, they're a little bit of a coming of age story, but um, Scout in, in To Kill a Mockingbird obviously comes from a, a good home. Her father is a very caring, loving father. And, you know, she has his, his support and, you know, she, she comes in a good a good environment. She's coming up in a good environment, but she's, you know, learning about, you know, the world and the harsher realities of the world. Whereas Kaya does not come up in a really good circumstances. And so quickly learns about the harsher realities of the world. And, but like in To Kill a Mockingbird, we have Boo Radley who is misunderstood and is kind of ostracized and is, is, has a good heart, but, you know, people don't really see that in him. And in this case, Kaya also has, I think, a good heart really deep down and is is compassionate. But again, people ostracize her and they, they think the worst of her. And we're also in To Kill a Mockingbird. We're dealing with a murder trial. We're also dealing with, I believe it was a murder trial, right? If I yes. remember correctly. Yes. yes. And it, we're dealing with a murder trial and uh, where the crawdads sing. And there's also some, it's not like front and center, but there's definitely some racial uh, issues that are brought up and social issues that are brought up as well in um, to Where the Crawdads Sing, which are, of course, a major part of To Kill a Mockingbird. So I think both those stories have a lot of similarities. And I think if if you like To Kill a Mockingbird, I think you will like Where the Crawdads Sing and vice versa, too, of course. Yes, it's highly recommended. So before we go on, Mr. Matthew, I just want to shout out to the people listening in Mexico. I have 24 places in Mexico City that I want to say hi to them. Of course, in Mexico City, I have 29% audience share. Chalisco at 21%. Nuevo León. Oh, I, forgive me if I pronounced uh, wrong. Guerrero at 5%, Mexico at 5%, Puebla, Baja California Sur, Hidalgo, Sonora, Querétaro, Estado de Mexico, Yucatan, Michoacan, Tamaulipas, Quintana Roo, Sinaloa, eh, Chihuahua, Aguas Calientes, Oaxaca, Zacatecas, Guanajuato, Veracruz, Colilla, and Baja California. Muchas gracias, Mexico, and thank you so much for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world, just like Mr. Matthew. Right. <laughs> In general. Conclusion of where the crowd that sing. I think it's a great story. I think it highlights nature in a beautiful way. I think it highlights femininity in a beautiful way. Um, I, but I think it's accessible to you know all all people really. Uh, I think it just highlights the human condition in a beautiful way as well. And I think it's a great emotional story that really can speak to a lot of different people's experiences who, especially ones who feel ostracized or like maybe they don't fit in or the, you know, they know loneliness, which I think is a lot of people. And I think it has a great story to tell. And like I said, it's a beautiful emotional tale. I think there's some things at the end that, you know, in the, or in the last third, maybe that weaken it a little bit, but uh, pull, pull back its punch a little bit, but I think it still packs a wallop and I think it still stays with you. And I think it's, it's one for one for the ages. Yes. And it's now a motion picture with a $124 million gross <laughs> income worldwide with the wow. 20, yes, but the 24 million budget. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so it's really phenomenal, people. And, it is, uh, Mr. Matthew. 
did a great choice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Like I said, it, it it's it's definitely in my top ten, so maybe my top five. So. So let's talk about your top five next week. <laughs> if you yeah, sure, we can go down my top five if you want. There are, a lot of them are older books. This is probably the the most recent book in my top five. So so let's do your top five. Then the name, the author. So let's start with number five. No, okay, number five. See now, is it easy? You didn't prepare me here, so I got to put this order. I would probably put this one as my number five. I know. You know what? I, I don't know. I would actually maybe put Dune as my number five. I would probably put Dune as my number five. Although I will say, and I will, I will fight anyone tooth and nail on this, that in my opinion, Dune Messiah, which is the quote-unquote sequel to Dune that was written, in my opinion, that's the ending to Dune. Dune is Dune and Dune Messiah, the second book. Those are the, the That's the ending to Dune. Otherwise, Dune doesn't have an ending. But when you read those two books together, beautiful story. So that would be my top five, though. <laughs> but I would put those two books together as my top five. Oh, wow. Let's talk about that next week, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sounds great. I'll, I, I love talking about Dune. Yeah, I've, I've been looking for people to talk about Dune with. <laughs> so. Think about your booth day dreaming. Where are we now? Where are we now? Oh, good question. Where are we now? Uh, <laughs> well, like I said, it is out on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, and it came, it, it, it was on pre-sale. I think it just came on pre-sale when we did our first show together where we talked about it. So that was on like January 5th, I believe. And it went actual sale on January 25th. So it's out. It's So it's been out for about 15 days so people are buying it i do i have seen some at least people have claimed they bought it um, <laughs> <laughs> only only one has uh showed me the receipt but i i, I trust them so <laughs> yes <laughs> um but yeah it's it, you know it's getting um it, it has one review um so far on on amazon uh and hopefully more will show up and you know, I'm gonna. I, I've been on a few podcasts besides yours, Dan, Mr. Daniel. So um, hopefully, some people are buying it and hearing about it. And it's, you know, it's just, you know, like any indie author, you know, it's just kind of hope, hoping for word of mouth and that it just kind of snowballs. I, I am going to apply for a grant uh, at the end of this month to hopefully get some money so I can take it into some conventions some sci-fi and book conventions and comic book conventions. And I am also going to try to go to some uh, Barnes and Nobles to see if I can ha set up a book signing as well to try to get word out that way. And of course, I'm still looking for podcasts to be on as well to promote it. But um, it's hard, you know, I mean, as any indie author out there listening knows, you know, when you don't have a budget, you know, you're just kind of hoping for word of mouth. You're hoping to, you know, generate some interest with yes. people and, you know, just hoping that it kind of spreads, you know, from there. So that's where we're at right now. Like I said, I'm going to try to get some, some book signings. I'm going to try to get into some conventions and hopefully, you know, get it out that way. And of course, the publisher is also trying to promote it as well. They they go to some conventions as well, I know. So hopefully that will be there as well. And um, I know they put it in the Birmingham Library, I believe, Birmingham Public Library. So if you're in Alabama and Birmingham area, you can get it free for the library, apparently. And um yeah, so that's that's really just, you know, hoping to get out there. And like I said, I'm hoping to get on some more podcasts as well. I've been on, like I said, about five uh, altogether, I think, over the last month. And we'll we'll see where it goes. I'm it's it, you know, I've I've talked to one, like I said, got a, a decent review on Amazon. Uh, that person I don't know, but they gave it a four stars. So um, so but, let's, um, let's talk yeah. about it. Uh, it says that very interesting and unique book. How did you do that? <laughs> How did I do it? Yes. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I think it was a honestly, it was a process 
I, I don't know if I said this on the show, so I apologize to your listeners if they're hearing me repeat myself, but it was through basically, I came up with the idea for the book in July of 2021 and all through 2020, of course, you know, COVID lockdown, everyone's isolated, you know, we all, I think, remember that. And so I was kind of just sitting at my computer just writing a lot you know i mean i wasn't going out and doing stuff i didn't honestly i I didn't have much of a social life before covid and i still don't have that much of a social life but um when covid (laughs) hit you know it was just kind of all right um in my free time you know and i had a lot of it uh i i was writing you know i i wasn't working a lot i was you know just walking my dog who was, you know, alive at the time has since passed. And I was just walking her and I was writing. And so, and I, and while I was walking with her, I was just thinking of ideas. And so a lot of ideas were just coming in my head and they were all just, and I, I, I was in the mode to try to find, make a stage play at the time. So I was trying to take all these like, concepts that were still sci-fi fantasy and convert them somehow to stage plays. And so I think that really helped me just kind of focus on the dialogue and the characters and, I kept, I had all, I probably had about seven or so, eight maybe, you know, plays and story ideas. I was just kind of rotating around and none of them kind of were really hitting the mark that I was looking for, um, for the most part. And I just was kind of feeling really frustrated and I just kind of binge watched um, the sci-fi series that I enjoy called Lex, which is a sci-fi series from the late nineties. And during while I was watching it, because I was watching it off of tapes that I had, I had taped when I was during those years when it was on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Sci-Fi Channel was apparently running a Dune miniseries. Actually, at the time I was taping it, so I was like, ah, you know, I, I always wanted to get into Dune. I hadn't read the books at that time, so I was like, you know, I was kind of looking into Dune, you know, on my phone while I'm watching Lex and everything like that. And I think those those two somehow became the glue that glued together all these other story ideas that I had been working on for the last year and a half. And it all kind of formulated into this very unique world that became dreaming. And so there's, you know, there's definitely, if if you're a fan of Lax, I mean, you're definitely going to see elements of of that in there. You're definitely going to see elements of Dune in there. Um, but there's all these other kind of sci-fi elements in there as well and all these other things that I was trying to make work in other projects and they just weren't. There's actually, there was a, a Korean folktale that I was working on that, um, you know, and there's literally lines of dialogue from that play that I was working on, that Korean folktale play that I lifted and put right in the book um, because there's nothing about Korea obviously in the book, but the idea in the Korean folktale was the main character was, you know, her mind was fractured and she was trying to put the pieces back together. That was the whole point of the folktale. And so I just used that for one of the characters, the character whose mind was fractured. I just used a lot of lines of dialogue. I put, I put that essence in there. And so it was just pulling a lot of different elements in and it kind of all just glued together and and came together. Yes, very well said. Beautifully written. Thank you, thank you. Oh, is that what the review says? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How did you react on that? Beautifully written. How did you do it? How did I do it? I have no idea. That one, I have no clue whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't. I mean, it, it, it was just flowing, honestly. And there are some things that I was writing that, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I don't know where this is coming from but sure let's let's put that in there and um and i i but i will credit and i mean i obviously went over a lot of times but i credit honestly the publishers too i have to give them you know uh credit for that because they really the 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 free minds publications is um a publishing company run by two writers two authors themselves and so i think that really benefited me because they were able to take what i had written and i think they didn't change what i had written but they were able to phrase it in a, in a kind of a, a a way that was much very elegant so i i think they they and like i said that that's not all throughout the book but i think on a lot of sections that maybe i was struggling with 
um, how to kind of phrase things, I think they really found the way to do it. So I, I really credit them for the partnership that we had there as well for how it was written. So which part of the book do you have struggled with? Oh, well, there were various parts. Like, I mean, it, it was some of the parts that were with Zine, um, High Counselor Zine, I, I think I struggled with because I, you know, I wanted to get across certain things there. And I think, you know, sometimes maybe I was a little bit too focused on what I was trying to get across rather than try, you know, telling the story. And I think they helped in like those sections a lot, you know, because although all the characters are important and I was really in, you know, obviously was behind a lot of the characters. I think for me, uh, Deleth, Lorelai and Armoni are just so much of me, you know, I mean, I'm a little bit of me is in every character, I think, but they're just so much like my personas that kind of cycle through my own head. Um, and, they um so they were easy for me to kind of just flow through that and you know their banter was just you know i i like writing banter that way so i was you know able to I really flow through that zine has you know is a little more different is is very different than who i am there's certain aspects of me in zine certainly but like high castle zine is very different in that aspect and the same thing with um corey a lot of Corey's, uh, you know, Corey is very different than me, um, in, you know, in a lot of aspects. So for me, those scenes with Corey and, and High Counselor Zine were a little harder because I, you know, really had to, you know, try to put myself in somebody else's shoes. And I think they kind of smoothed those over for me, those scenes. Yes. And immense and immersive world building. Yes. And that, again, I go back to what I said at the first one, where it was just, it was pulling together so many elements. And I think I'm such a sci-fi fantasy fan and love the world building. Sometimes, honestly, I, I, I haven't read that much fantasy, but I love reading the worlds, like just the setup, like the synopsis or just the, the glossary. Like I've never played a D&D &D match in my life, but I'll, I'll read the glossaries and I just love reading. Oh, wow. What's this race? Okay. This is that. Okay. This is that race. Wow. That's so interesting. And it will just give me so many of my own ideas to be like, Oh, I would love to use that element, you know, in something. So for me, I think it was just kind of pulling a lot of the fantasy and world building stuff that I've, when I read the, wrote the first draft, I hadn't read Dune, but I had read like the Wikipedia page of Dune. So I knew all about the different houses and the different, you know, um, the, um, I forget the name of it now. <laughs> it's, it's slipping my mind, but the, the sisterhood, I forget what the sisterhood's called, but, um, you know, so that to me was what drew me into Dune. That was like, oh, I love that stuff. So I just, I just love reading <laughs> world building stuff, even if I don't actually read the story. So I think it was just pulling in a lot of those elements and just really letting, but, but again, I don't know where some of the stuff came from, to be honest. Like I can tell you a lot of like the spark and the way of the light, I think came from um, Dune and Lex, but I mean, I don't know where some of the other things actually, you know, like I said, came from. Um, in there with the different, you know, stuff that was the planets. I mean, like I, I, I pulled some of them from like real world cultures in history because I'm a history buff as well. But I mean, some of them, I don't know. I was just like, okay, yeah, we'll just go with that. I, I don't know. And um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of different elements. I know I, a lot of people, there's a lot of comparison to The Mandalorian. Someone compared that to me that I, I know personally is reading the book said, oh, it reminds me of The Mandalorian. And I was like, yeah, I guess I could see that, actually. I didn't think about that. But um, it, it has some Mandalorian. But honestly, I knew nothing about the Mandalorian before I wrote the book. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, I had written the book, and I had gone over the revisions before I re 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 um, excuse me, watched the first season. And I still, to this day, have only watched the first season of Mandalorian. And I didn't know anything about it. It wasn't like, I, again, it wasn't like I researched the Mandalorian because, honestly... I, I have a huge Star Wars buff, so maybe that's why there's some elements that are in there. But um, I have not agreed with a lot of what Disney has done with Star Wars franchise. So that's why I kind of purposely was staying away from Mandalorian <laughs> for <laughs> quite a while. Um, and didn't want to know anything about it, didn't care about it. But, you know, I, 
the Star Wars saga for me, I'm always more drawn to the Skywalker angle and the Skywalker aspect. So that's why I was even more like, I don't care. I don't want to know, you know. So I didn't know anything about The Mandalorian until I read it. And then I, I went to a friend's house um, for, I stayed at a friend's house for a week. And he had, uh, you know, Disney Plus, And he's telling me all about The Mandalorian. He's like, oh, you got to watch it. I, I, I know what you're talking about with what they do with Star Wars, but it's so good. It's so good. You got to watch it. So I, I ended up watching it with, you know, while I was over there and staying with yeah. him. But by that point, like I said, all the revisions had already been done. The only thing that I had done after I had watched The Mandalorian was run it through Grammarly to hand over to the publisher. So, <laughs> but... There are aspects I will I will admit I was like yeah okay I could see like like the the one of the only things I changed I did I, I will say I did change one thing and it was a slight thing I changed after I saw the Mandalorian in my story the main character like the Mandalorian is sent after a target and he's given a little beacon tracker to track the target now in the Mandalorian he's given the tracker and. You're just being like, okay, find find the the child, you know, find the child. I don't think he's told it's a child, but find the child using this tracker. And yeah. I watched that, and I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Mine makes more sense because mine, he's looking only in a solar system, so he only has ten planets to look at, not an entire galaxy. What <laughs> signal? What signal yeah. is going to be so strong that it yes. will travel throughout an entire galaxy? So I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, you don't, you're not told what it is that he's actually tracking in that tracker, if I remember correctly. Whereas in my story, you're told that it has her DNA. It has her DNA in it, and that's what it's it's looking for. It's looking for a DNA signature. So I was like, "Yeah, that's more realistic." So when I so after I watched Mandalorian and came back home, I went back into the manuscript and I just made sure that was it was very clear that he's looking for her by literally buzzing the planets. That he's not just <laughs> randomly going about looking for this because I was like, I just want to make sure that this is realistic here and this actually could happen and not yes. like the Mandalorian did, where it's just like, oh, here's a tracker, you'll find the main <laughs> character. <laughs> yes. So do you think what is your point of view? Uh, your book daydreaming. What is the flaws? My flaws. Yes. My flaws are probably the fact that one, I, I, I probably could have described a lot of things more. So, I mean, I purposely made a concerted effort to describe, but that's not how I tend to write because they come from a filmmaking background. You know, when you're trained for scripts for, you know, TV and film, you're, at least I was trained. I, I don't know if it's other people have different experiences, but I was trained, you know, as little as possible, you know, get in, get out, don't add any description or, you know, unless it's absolutely necessary to the story because the art director and the producers and the director and the, you know, set designers and the actors and the, the casting director, they're all going to make decisions on this kind of stuff. So you're, you're just basically there to tell the story and write the dialogue. And you know, they're going to make those decisions later. So they don't want to hear what you have to say. That's just wasted time that they have to read through it. So that's kind of how I'm, you know, usually I'm just there to tell the story. I'm moving from moment to moment. I probably could have been dreaming described a little bit more, you know, a little bit more of what, you know, this person looks like, what their clothing's like, what the scent is in the air, what is the, you know, look of this, you know, city you know what kind of buildings are in the city those things probably could have been done a little bit more and i probably could have and i guess this could be either a detriment or or a benefit depending on how you look at it and what your taste is for me i i personally my taste is i like moving right through the story again i'm 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 not one to sit there and like okay yes this like that's why my criticism we'll talk about i guess in the next episode with dune would be like okay yeah 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 okay okay i get it let's let's move on what what is going on what's the purpose of this you know scene to the story i don't need to know about how he's preparing his meal and what you know he likes you know to to do before his meal is i don't need to hear his meal ritual that's that doesn't help me with getting to know him personally that's how i take it so 
I'm when I write, I tend to move, you know, I'm moving along. Here's this, here's the scene. Here's a scene. Here's a scene. We're moving the story along. We're moving along. Everything is there for a reason. It's, it's meant to either be allegorical or symbolic to the overall themes, or it's, you know, meant to thrust the characters along, um, in the story. So some people might consider that a detriment, you know, because they want to kind of stop and smell the roses, so to speak, you know, and kind of, you know, stay within the scene and marinate in it a little bit, marinate in the atmosphere before they move on to the next, to the next scene. So that could be a detriment as well. Well, congratulations for your debut number. Yes. And where do people buy your book? Again, it's available Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get it on the website, uh, Barnes and Noble's website, and you can also get it on Amazon. It's available both in electronic format on both sites or a paperback. So if you're someone who likes to actually physically hold the book in their hands, I got you covered. If you prefer to just read it on your, you know, little e-reader or whatever, or Kindle, uh, I got you covered there as well. So whichever, whatever your taste is, you, you, you can find it. But uh, those are the two websites you can find it in. And uh, I just ask if you read it, even if you absolutely hate it and think it's the worst piece of rubbish, please write or leave a review, either on Amazon or Barnes yes. & Noble or both or on Goodreads because, again, we just, you know, it thrives on reviews. It's just like a movie, you know, a movie by some no-name director with no-name actors in it. You're probably going to be hesitant until you read a couple reviews and see what it's like. So, and even like I said, if it's a bad review, as long as it's honest, at least it's a review and people know someone read it and they can see that people are honestly giving their feedback. Yes. So do you think bad reviews uh, move you to be a better writer? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that too. I mean, besides sales, I mean, reviews are help writers. Feedback helps any artist be better it helps you know what you know what it what can you improve upon what did you do right you know what are your strengths what are your weaknesses and it helps you hone your craft and and figure out what your what your identity is as, as an artist so yeah absolutely feedback is so important so that's that reason too for reviews as long as you as long as it's constructive of course you know i mean if you just say this is a piece of trash and i wasted you know <laughs> five hours of my life writing it that doesn't help me as a writer it may help me with the algorithms so still post that <laughs> review if you need to but uh but it's more helpful to me as a writer if you say well you know I, it was an interesting story but i just felt like the characters were one-dimensional that at least you know at least helps me to know i gotta kind of flesh out my characters more yes people let's support mr matthew anthony basil for the mm -hmm. debut novel Yes, yes. Like I said, look, and you can search me on as Matthew A. Basil, or you could search Dreaming, or you could search both on uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Because like I said, I am an indie author, so sometimes the algorithms give a little bit of difficulty <laughs> on the search. But I am there, and I have been able to search myself. So I am there, and the book is available. Thank you, Mr. Matthew. All right, thank you, Mr. Daniel. Take care, and have a good night. Morty